Now, the film, uh, The Grey, tells a story of a group of oil drillers in the USA. They are, if you've seen the film, they are on a plane to Alaska in the film. And then, of course, it crashes in the middle of nowhere. And eight of them survive, but they soon discover they are in a territory full of wolves. And these wolves hunt them down, hunt, hunt down human beings for food. That's, that's the plot of the film. And the wolves, of course, begin to kill the survivors one by one. Until towards the end, there's only one person left. Our hero played by Liam Neeson. But just when we think our hero has survived this deadly wolf pack, right, he stumbles right into their den, towards the end. And so in the film, we have this final dramatic scene, right? Our hero is face to face with the wolves. And the big question is, what is he going to do now, right? Well, what he does is he looks up to heaven and then he starts shouting blasphemies at God. And even as he shouts blasphemies at God, at the same time, our hero is asking God for help. He is demanding, his prayer really is to God, he is demanding that God should prove to him that God is not a phony by saving his life right now when he needs God. But of course, there is no response from heaven. Just dead silence. So Aero says to himself, after uttering more blasphemies, of course, he says to, him, to himself, I'll just do it myself. And of course, you guessed it, isn't it? In typical Hollywood style fashion, Liam Neeson makes a last heroic stand against the alpha wolf and he kills it with a broken bottle. What's that about? Well, the message of the film is obvious, isn't it? Life is a struggle against the circling and Darwinian wolves of despair, right? But don't count on God to help you, says Hollywood. God won't help you. You're on your own. What you need to do is to do what Liam Neeson has done, to pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Life is what you make it, not what God makes it. That's the message of the film. Now, of course it is true that what we do does matter in life. I think we all agree with that. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. God has given us responsibilities in this world. And the capacity to do them. And we are commanded by scripture to do them. So, God is not up for tidying up people's laziness, for example. You must do what God commands. God will make you. God has commanded you, for example, to come to church. If you don't do it, you don't do it. God will not attend church for you. We have responsibility, we must do them. So the film has got a point that in some degree of we need to be involved in life. But we are not enough. The film is wrong because we are not enough. Relying on you in life is an illusion. Think about it. As a person, you are just one of seven billion people on a small planet in a very large cosmos. 
In relation to the universe, your lifespan is a mere blink. And you face many threats in your life from pandemics, riots, wars, big business, big tech, big government, big media. The forces that you can't control. All working to reduce your already short lifespan on earth. You don't generate the air you breathe. You didn't create the ground. You walk on, hey, you didn't even create the chair you're sitting on. You will die someday, and I think that will come very quickly for all of us. Because life is short. One minute will be here, one minute will be thinking, ah, I've run out of time. And when you die, you'll soon be forgotten. That's life. That's the reality of life. You and me are all powerless, aren't we? So looking to ourselves or other people to order our end in life will never fulfill our hopes and dreams. What you and I need in life is power that can meet all our needs. A power that can meet our spiritual, physical, emotional needs. A power that is sufficient in every sphere of life today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You need power from God. And the good news of the Bible is that the true God has revealed himself to us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, Christ is God wearing our skin. He is fully God and fully man. You will never find peace and security by looking inside or relying on other people. No creature holds themselves. What you need is found in Christ alone. And so we are currently exploring this person of Christ in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, which we just read. Um, and, as, and we're doing this because we are going through Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And over the last two Sundays, we have learned three truths about Christ from verse 15 to verse 23. First of all, we have learned that Christ is God. Christ is our God. That's verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And we said image there means exactly as God. He is God. He is the eternal son of God. Secondly, we learned that Christ, because his God, is supreme over all things. That's how verse 15 continues. The firstborn of all creation. We said that should be understood as the first rank over all creation. He's ranked among creation because he's fully man, and he's ranked over creation because he's God himself. That's the second truth. Christ is supreme over all things. The third truth we learned was last week. And we, we learned that Christ is our creator God. That's verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things were created through him and for him. Christ is the author, is the agent, and is the God of creation. Well, today, everything that exists has a beginning, isn't it? And the beginner of creation is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, today, we are going to look at the fourth truth about Christ in verse 17. What does verse 17 says? It says, And he, that is Christ, is before all things, and in him 
in Christ, all things hold together. We can simply summarize what this verse is teaching us. As it says in your outline, this verse is teaching us that Christ is our timeless sustainer. Christ is not just the beginner of all things. He is the everlasting upholder. He is the everlasting sustainer of all things. And he does not just hold our life now. He will keep holding us because Christ is the ageless one. He is the timeless one. He is before all things. And in him, all things are together. I don't know if you've ever seen the BBC TV series called Doctor Who, right? Doctor Who is about um, a fictional alien race of humanoids called Time Lords, right? If you've seen that on BBC One. Now, the lead character in that show belongs to this race of Time Lords. And like other Time Lords, the Doctor is able to see everything that was and everything that is and everything that could be. And it can get to any point in human history, in fact, the history of the universe, and, and change history, if you like, with this advanced phone box. That's his transport, right? Now, the series is very popular. In fact, it's continued to be popular, even though it's become a bit hyper-walk now. There's all sorts of the doctor at one point transitioned in from, a, from, a, from a man to a woman, so that sort of thing happening. Anyway, it remains popular. That's BBC television, isn't it? Why is it so popular even when just it's become quite silly? Well, I think the reason it remains popular is because Doctor Who taps into this yearning in all of us, you see, for someone who is truly Lord of time and space. We long for a savior like Doctor Who, Someone who is human like us and even uses our old phone boxes. It's a bit of a fashion, but it's reassuring. This is a man like us. So in every way, he's human like us. He understands our culture. And yet, at the same time, we long for this person to be powerful enough, isn't it? Powerful enough to beat the Daleks of our lives. And so he's going around beating everyone. That's Doctor Who. Omnipotence while being human. Omnipresent is everywhere where it feels like while being human. But there's a problem, isn't it? Doctor Who is not real. It's just fictional TV. He is no time lord. But the good news of the Bible is that God has come to us in Christ to be our real time lord. Christ, like Doctor Who, has put on our humanity. But unlike Dr. Who, Christ is our eternal God. He is truly eternal, verse 17. And he is before all things. I just want you to know that word there, before. Because in the original, the word before means prior to a point in time. What Paul is saying is this. Is that Christ didn't start to exist 2,000 years ago. Christ has never had a beginning. He is before all things. He is the timeless one. He is the ageless one. And this is what we read, isn't it, in Hebrews 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchanging one. He is the Lord of time and space. Notice there, by the way, that both verse 17 in Colossians and Hebrews 13, verse 8 speaks of Christ 
in the present tense. In Hebrew it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Colossians 7, 1 verse 17 says, And he is before all things. He does not say he was. He plainly says to us, he is. He is the ever-present one. The, the, oldest living per, the, the oldest person who has ever lived, Christ, has always lived. And he continues to live. And he will never be outlived. Christ is the ever-living and timeless one. And what a comfort, isn't it? As followers of Jesus, we worship the true, living, and ageless Christ. Our God is not a dead idol or some fictional character. Christ is ever living and ever reigning. And notice here that Paul says in verse 17 that Christ is before all things, isn't it? Verse 17. And he is before all things. Not some things. He is before all things. Why does Paul again emphasize this word all? We've made it before already. We made it twice in verse 16. Why does he repeat it here? In fact, he repeats it here twice as well. He's before all things, and we'll come to this in a minute. In him all things all together. But why is he emphasizing that Christ is before all things? Well, what Paul is saying to us is that, look, when you think of the universe, there are only two categories. There is Christ, the eternal one, and there is the rest of creation, which is finite and temporal. There is the Lord of time, Christ himself, who holds time itself in his hands, and there is us creatures who are subject to time. Two categories in life. God and us. The creator and creatures. The eternal and the finite. Why is that important? Well, it is important because of how verse 17 finishes, isn't it? The next earth-shaking truth poses in verse 17. It says, and he that is Christ is before all things. And in him, in Christ, all of these things that he is before, all of these things hold together in him. In other words, Christ is a timeless glue that holds the universe. Not just now, not just in the past or today, but also in the future. You know, the scientists tell us about the wonderful part of the body, of the human body called laminin. Now, without getting into all jargon of molecular biology, perhaps you can ask Brother Rob about it, laminin is the cell, is a cell bonding molecule. The human body is organized around various uh, types of cells which do different jobs, right? But what is the glue that holds these cells together? What stops these cells from falling apart? Well, the answer is laminin. And that is the image Paul has in mind in the second verse, in, the, in, in verse 17, the second part of that. And he is before things, and in him, that is Christ, all things all together. You know, Christ did not create the universe, right? Like created over here, and then he walks away, right? That's what human inventors do, right? Think about your iPad or your iPhone, right? It doesn't have Steve Jobs attached to it. In fact, he's dead. It doesn't have him attached. But even if he was alive, he wouldn't be attached to your iPad and your iPhone, right? 
But that's not Christ. Christ will forever be connected to what is, as it were, what he has created. Because he's the one holding it together. He's the lamin that holds the entire universe from falling apart. I just want you to think about that. Just pause and think about that. Maybe you hear it all the time. Maybe you've read this so many times that you become used to it. But just reflect on that. Christ holds together every single thing that you're seeing. He's holding that thing together. There is an actual person, Christ, who is literally sustaining all things that we see around us, including yourself. Nothing is running itself. And in fact, we can even go as far as to say nothing is impersonal about everything we see. Because behind everything we see, there's a person behind it. Christ is the one sustaining it. And notice here the word together. What does it convey about what Christ is sustaining? Well, stability, isn't it? And order. Christ is not ordering chaos. You know, the universe is not a failed task on Evan's version of the apprentice. You know, this isn't like it's gone wrong, right? From God's vantage point. Yes, the universe is like a cracked grass, isn't it? It's like a, a cracked piece of glass that has been sort of cracked. But the pieces haven't fallen out because Christ still holds the thing together. There will come a time when he will renew the glass. He will make everything new. But the pieces are not all over the place. He's holding it. That's the image you should think of, you have in mind when you think of the universe. A grass that has been cracked and still holds together. Christ keeps all the pieces together to allow the universe to function and flourish. You know, the song you learned in Sunday school is really true. It's got the whole world in his hands. Christ has all things in his hands. He's the glue of life. And again, we hear this truth all the time, but pause, beloved. Reflect this morning. Think about what this tells us about who Christ is. This truth is like a window, a wonderful window through which we stare through and gaze at the perfections of Christ. All the perfections of Christ. There are many of them. Just mentioned four. First of all, this truth reminds us that Christ is all-powerful. That's what this truth is reminding us. It's reminding us that Christ is all-powerful. The power of Christ is so great that he sustains all that has existed, is existing now, and will exist in the future. Christ does not need to take a break to regain his strength. He does not need to catch up on some sleep. Christ is all-powerful, right? He does not grow faint or grow weary. Christ never moans at doing too much work, right? Christ never knows off while reading a sentence of a book, right? The power of Christ is always at 100%. Christ doesn't depend on anyone, because if it depends on anyone, how could he hold the world together? He never feels helpless. No one can back Christ into a corner. He does whatever he wants and when he wants. And beloved, if we are true followers of Christ, this all-powerful Christ is our brother and king. 
And we should be, at this moment, we should be thinking as we are hearing, we should be saying, yeah, that's my brother. That's my Jesus. Right? Christ is using all his power, not only to sustain the world, but to sustain you who love him. So this truth reminds us that Christ is all-powerful. I think it also reminds us that Christ is all-present, isn't it? Christ is in every place he has created because it is him who holds all those places together. If he isn't there, he cannot sustain those places. You know, you may have heard that philosophical question. You may have heard this question. If a tree falls in the forest, right, and no one is around, does it make a sound? If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around, does it make a sound? And you're thinking, oh, well, depends what you mean by sound. What is that? Well, the, the biblical answer is yes, it makes a sound. It does make a sound because Christ is always there to make sense of the sound. Christ holds the tree and he holds the forest together. Oh, beloved, what a comfort, isn't it? What a comfort to know that the eyes of our Lord are always watching over us because Christ is always present, holding our life together. That he is there with us in every situation. You know, all of last week, the eyes of Christ watched over you. He was there with you when you got out of bed. He was there with you when you ate breakfast. Because he sustained the breakfast you were eating. It tasted nice because Christ held it together. He went with you as you dropped off the kids. He went with you to work or pay for some of you. He went with you as you logged on, right? He was with you as you were shopping. And he's with you now. He was with you when you came into the car and he's with you now. There is never a place where Christ our Savior is not with us. He's in every place, in every situation. And he's holding all of those things together. Christ is all present. I think this truth is also reminding us that Christ is all-knowing. All things are in his hands, isn't it? Christ knows all things better than you know the palm of your hand. You know, Christ never has any question about anything. He never dreams of one day saying, well, I wish one day I could learn something new. <laughs> he, never runs, he, never, he, never, he never turns on the television, let me hear what the BBC has to say. And then he watches something. Wow, how did he know that? That's not Christ. The knowledge of Christ and his wisdom is always 100% perfect. He knows all things, past, present, future. That's our Savior. That's our brother. That's our Christ. And what a great encouragement to know that Christ knows everything in our lives, not just now, but at every point of our existence here on earth, and that he's using all that knowledge to sustain us. It comforts me to know that my Savior knows my innermost thoughts, my innermost feelings, and my innermost fears. And isn't it amazing that Christ is the one who even sustains my fears? He sustains my feelings and my thoughts. They are in his hands. That's comforting if you know Christ. It's, of course, terrifying if you don't know Christ. Finally, I think this truth, by the way, also we can go on, but this final thing, this truth is reminding us that Christ is full of grace to us. Why do I say that? Well, because Christ does not need to keep you and I together. He does not need to keep this world together. 
Christ is our ever-sufficient, self-sufficient God. There is nothing that we can give to Him to improve His life. So Christ creating us and sustaining. I mean, you have to ask yourself, why is Christ sustaining all these things? Why? As an act of grace to us. An act of infinite generosity to us. We do not deserve Christ to sustain us. You know, there are many people who think God owes them something. He doesn't owe us anything. We are mere creatures of dust. But more than that, we are sinners, friends. We are sinners. Our sins spit every day at the one who sustains us. We are so ungrateful to Christ. From the moment we entered this world, we have only poured out hatred to our maker, to our sustainer. We can't help but wage war against him. You know, Christ would well be within his right. His right. But Michael often reminds us in his prayers, isn't he? Christ would be well within his right, isn't it, to just wipe us out. Or to send us to hell. Right now. Because hell is where we belong. But Christ has not done that to you today. You know, by the time I finish this sentence, statistically, by the time I finish this sentence, Christ has taken away the breath of six people on the planet. And probably all of them have gone to hell. But Christ is preserving your life right now. And more than that, he's giving you time to get your life in order, to repent and truly trust him if you don't, to flee from the wrath of hell. And the tragedy is that for some of you, you are still defying this wonderful Christ who is sustaining you. You are like those people who bombed London Bridge. That was tragic, wasn't it? Very tragic. Why? Because this country gave them everything. From the moment they had arrived, it gave them everything. And it continued to hold their life together in every way possible. And yet they decided to aim their murderous weapons at the very society that sustained them. That's you, friends. If you haven't truly repented, that's you. You're shooting your gun at the parent who is keeping you and sustaining you in his home. Come, come to Jesus today. Repent of your sin, look to him. Humble yourself before Christ, our sustainer. And I say, plead for him to save you. Plead, that's the right word, it's pleading. You must plead because you have no right to his salvation. You must plead. And the Bible often says, perhaps then, perhaps, isn't it amazing the Bible puts the word perhaps, perhaps God will have mercy on you. Because it's all down to him. It's all down to him. Ask God to forgive you to make you truly born again. What about those of us then who are trusting truly in Christ? What does this truth mean for us? Well, just 
For us to understand what this truth means for us, we need to ask ourselves why Paul wrote this letter. Or rather, more precisely, why Paul is writing these words in the context in which he's written them. Well, the context of these words is Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, which you're familiar with. That's why we're going through the Bible verse by verse. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, in front of you says this, May you be strengthened with all power, that's what Paul desires for them, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We looked at those verses in detail, didn't we? And Paul there is praying for the Colossians to endure life with patience and joy. That's the context. And so verse 15 to 23, what Paul is then doing is that he's saying we endure with patience and joy by focusing on who Christ is and what Christ has done for us and he's doing and will do for us in the future. And so we've come now to verse 17, what Paul is saying, he's saying this, keep remembering that Christ is your timeless sustainer. That's how you endure with joy and patience. Keep remembering that Christ is your timeless sustainer. So those are the two things, right, we need to do in light of this verse. First, let this truth that Christ is your timeless sustainer grow your patience in Christ. If this truth does anything today, my prayer has been that you would grow in patience in Christ. In whatever challenging situation you're in, whatever pain, whatever suffering you are enduring, Be patient in Christ. You know, when we started verse 11, we said patience is not taking our future in our hands. It is waiting on Christ our God to act for us as he sees fit. If you are a true follower of Christ, you have this wonderful double comfort, isn't it? You have the comfort of a creature. You have a comfort that your creator holds your life, right? That's the first comfort. But you also have the comfort that this creator was your life is your Lord and Savior. You know, I think we all agree that the Queen cares about all of us, right? I hope we think she broadly cares, right? But we'd also agree that she cares more about her children and grandchildren than any of us. She has a different kind of love for them, we might say. Well, the same is true of Christ. Christ loves everyone, but he has a, an electing love for us. Christ cares about each part of his creation, but he has a special kind of love for those he has redeemed. Christ came to die for you, his child. He came to make you part of his family. To share his life with you. And now Christ, your sustainer, who sustains you, now lives in you by his Holy Spirit. Where am I going with this? What I'm saying is that in whatever situation you're in, give yourself to Christ to lead and guide you. Wait patiently on him. Do not do a Liam Neeson. Do not rely on yourself. Look to Christ to lead you. You know, this coming week, perhaps a family member may say unkind words and you will be tempted to take matters into your own hands by letting off your steam a bit. But remember this truth. Christ is already holding you as his creature and you as his precious child. So why retaliate? Be patient when you are slandered. 
Look to the one who sustains you. You know, next month, a, a new boss may arrive at your place of work who's more nasty than the last one. May happen. Or your current nasty boss will still be around and things will just get worse and worse. And you're going to be tempted to be impatient. You feel the urge to return the favor to them. But when we remember this truth, Christ is holding you at that place of work. Wow. You grow in patience, isn't it? You grow in patience no matter how difficult work is. You know, a new investment that seems to promise the end of your financial struggle may turn out to be a dead end in a couple of months' time. When everything implodes, your pension funds could disappear the way the world is going. And that may leave you empty and struggling. You may get desperate and start going to places Christ forbids. Start doing things he doesn't approve of. But remember this truth. Christ is holding your pension, your finances together. Do not worry. Wait on him patiently. No matter what happens, he will sustain his people. The pension may go, but you're still being held by him. So this truth teaches us patience in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. We must allow this truth to grow our patience. Why? Because a patient heart is a worshipping heart. You are not worshipping Christ if you are being impatient. You know, when we are patient, we are loving and obeying and serving Christ. We are letting him run our lives. And that's true worship. So patience is the first response. And then just quickly, the next, secondly, this truth that Christ is our sustainer is meant to grow your joy in Christ. Patience and joy. Those are the two things in verse 11. It's meant to increase your joy in whatever situation you're in. Now, when we, when we looked at joy last time, we said jo- Christian joy is not about wearing a permanent smile. That's, we reminded ourselves of that. You know, to be joyful in Christ means to have this inner peace based on who Christ is and what he has done for us, regardless of our circumstances. We have this assurance in Christ, and this assurance in Christ results in us rejoicing in every circumstance. Not rejoicing, there is rejoicing, not rejoicing at the difficulties. You can't be joyful without rejoicing. The two goes together in the Bible. Rejoice always. I say, again, rejoice. But what are we meant to rejoice about? We are meant to rejoice for who Christ is and what he's done for us. And in this case of Colossians 1 verse 17, we are meant to rejoice that no matter what's going on in our lives, our lives haven't failed because Christ is sustaining us. You know, when we remember that the one who bled and died for us is the one who is keeping this vast universe together, it fills our hearts with joy in whatever circumstances. We will rejoice in the middle of challenges. Why? Because we know that our lives is not being driven by chance. It's not being driven by luck. It's not being driven by chaos. It's being sustained by Christ himself. Our Lord, our Savior, who poured out his precious life to save us from hell. And we know that his love will never let us go. Beloved, wherever you go, Christ is holding you. Whatever you are facing, Christ is holding you. When you pray, it is Christ who holds you, who is hearing from you. You know, even your prayers are sustained by him. 
So pray with confidence. This is the real life of every true believer. And every true believer in history has held, you know, every, every true believer was going through persecution, heavy persecution. This is the truth that has sustained them. It is the truth that the, this universe is not chaotic, it's held by Christ our Lord. That the universe has a human face. And the human face is the face of our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, during the fourth century, John Chrysostom uh, was brought before the Empress Eudoxia. This is in Constantinople, right? John Chrysostom at the time was the Archbishop of Constantinople. And so she brought him, she brought John before him. And she threatened him with banishment from Constantinople for preaching Christ. How did John respond to the Empress? Well, he told her, you, can, you cannot banish me. For this world is my father's house. The Empress said, said that and she said, but John, I will kill you. John said, no, you cannot. For my life is hid with Christ in God. He quoted Colossians chapter 3. The Empress said, but I'm going to take away your treasures. John simply said, no. The Empress Eudoxia, a powerful Empress, he said to her, no, you cannot do it. Because my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But John, said the Empress, I'll drive you away from your friends. You have no one left. Chrysostom said to the Empress for the final time, No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me from. I defy you for there is nothing you can do to harm me. As a believer, this is a truth that has sustained matters. Christ is before all things. And in him, all things are together. It's not a truth to bore you to death, to sleep even, regardless of who's preaching. It is a truth. This is your lifeline. Chrysostom understood that Christ owes all things and that he especially gently holds the precious lives of his children in his hand, in life or death. If you're going to endure... I wouldn't say get used to this truth. No. Delight to hear this truth. Delight to meditate on it. Life often hurts. We can feel lonely and empty, isn't it? Sometimes we go through situations that humble us. We feel like everything is falling apart. But that's, that's painful, isn't it? But it does not mean that Christ has lost control of your life. It means Christ is allowing it to remind you, right? To remind you that what you need most is not you. What you need most is him. Right? Pain and suffering is Christ's way of saying to us, no matter how blessed you become, you still need me to hold you. And to keep holding you. Because Christ knows that we are prone to set up our own supports. And so from time to time, he takes away those supports. Just to remind you that it is him who ultimately holds you. There's joy in that. There's joy in knowing that. That no matter what life brings, he's holding us. And you know that you're only here today because Christ has already kept you. Do you know that? 
you are only here this morning because Christ has already kept you. Physically, that's obvious, but also spiritually brought you here. Christ is holding you, and even this message is part of the way Christ sustains his people spiritually. He brought you just to hear this message. And so you value it when you hear it, you pray about it. Because it reminds you that your Christ is not a weak God. You are being held by the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, and all-gracious Christ. Yes, it's true that our lives often can feel like we are being chased by Liam Neeson's pack of wolves, isn't it? We can feel like we're being cornered to extinction. But beloved, that's not the reality for believers. The reality for believers is a wonderful reality. It is that Christ not only upholds, holds together the wolves that are chasing us, right? He's the one sustaining them. That he sustains us and he keeps those wolves under his leash. What a God. What a Savior. And that's the truth we need to keep reminding ourselves every day. Keep reminding yourself that you have a timeless sustainer. And he's upholding you together and will keep holding you regardless of your feelings. Sometimes you feel is, your world is running out of control, but remind yourself the truth. Live your life by the truth of the word of God. Live contrary to your feelings. Let the word of God guide how you feel. And the more you do that, the more you grow in patience and joyful endurance to the glory of Christ and for our good.